reading recount various places where the children of Israel traveled to and significant incidences that occurred. Torah says that God did not lead them to the land of the Philistines, which was nearby, for he was afraid. The people might change their minds if they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness and the Sea of Reeds. And Bnei Israel went up out of the land of Egypt armed. Moses traveled with the bones of Yosef, who had been mummified in Egypt, to fulfill the promise made by Yosef's brothers, as recorded in Genesis 50, to take Joseph's bones when Hashem delivered Israel from Egypt. Joseph had absolute confidence that God would one day deliver Israel. So they traveled from Sukkoth to Etam. Adonai went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they could travel both day and night. The cloud and the pillar never departed from the people. Chapter 14 recounts the parting of the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, not actually the Red Sea, as it, uh, it is often called. Adonai asked Bnei Israel to camp in a specific place between Migdol and the sea, specifically to give Pharaoh the impression that Israel was wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. As a result, Pharaoh, who is already regretting his decision to let Israel go, will be emboldened to go after them again, aided by Adonai's decision to confirm Pharaoh in his hard-hearted, in his hardened desire to go after his vanishing slave labor force. Pharaoh pursues Bnei Israel with his horses, chariots, and his army. When Israel lifts up their eyes and sees the Egyptians, they are, of course, terrified. This begins the first of many recurring complaints and murmurings threaded throughout the story of Exodus. Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness because there were no graves in Egypt? <laughs> they complain a lot. In fact, they have extremely short memories since they tell Moses, did we not say to you in Egypt, let us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? It was better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Of course, they said no such thing, and it only was within the first month of them leaving Egypt, yet they already seemed to have forgotten how distressed they were. Uh, Moses calms them with these words, stand still and see the salvation of Adonai, and a bunch of things happen. The angel of God who was leading Israel moves, the positions, uh, moves and positions himself between the Egyptian and the Israeli camps, and does the pillar of, and does the pillar of cloud, as does the pillar of cloud, sorry so that Egypt sees only darkness and cloud. Israel sees only light, and the two groups never come near one another that whole night. Then Moses stretches his hand out with his staff over the sea, and an east wind parts the waters, forming a wall of water on each side. This uh, well-known story of the parting of the sea is not, only, is not the only miracle. As Torah says a couple of times, that the land on which Bnei Israel crossed was dry, therefore it was not muddy, which means literally every drop of water in the land was removed. In the early morning, when Pharaoh's horses and chariots rushed after them, God caused the wheels, of the wheels to fall off and the chariots to drive heavily. The Egyptians conclude that the God of Israel is fighting against them, which they should, and they panic and try to turn back. Um, and so they do, but the waters fall onto them and they drown. Um, when all calms down, Bnei Israel sees the dead Egyptians on the seashore and realizes that Adonai has done a great work. So they believe in Adonai and his servant Moses. This brings us to chapter 15, where the first two songs of scripture appear. The first is a song that Moses and Bnei Israel sing to Adonai, one which is well known as we also sing it at Pesach. 
It's, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Adonai is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will glorify him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The song speaks of Adonai as a warrior and recounts in beautiful, triumphant, poetic phrasing the events of the drowning of the Egyptians, not only because drowning is fun, but because Pharaoh had evil inclinations toward Israel. One section that illustrates this mood is verse 11. Who is like you, Adonai, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in praises, doing wonders? Which are the words used in another song that we sing. Uh, the Song of Moses is followed by a song of Miriam, that Miriam leads the women in praise, singing, dancing, and using tambourines. The rabbis debate if Miriam and the women really sing, as in Orthodox circles it's considered immodest for a woman to sing in the presence of men who are not her relatives. Other rabbis think they did sing, as since Shekhinah was upon Israel at the time, it was acceptable to sing. Some believe it was antiphonal, as Miriam repeats or answers back to the first line of Moses' song. I will sing to, to Adonai, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Anyway, the chief point is that everyone is very happy at this point. From there, they travel for three days in the wilderness where there is no water. Finally, they come to Marah, which is the place with bitter water. In fact, Marah means bitter. The people complain, but Moses shows a special, throws a special tree in the water, which makes it sweet. At that point, Adonai makes a statute and ordinance that if they diligently listen to his voice and follow his mitzvot, they will receive none of the diseases that were put on the Egyptians. He also introduces himself as the God who heals. Thus, Israel is beginning to learn who Adonai is. Next, they travel to Elim, where there is abundant water, 12 springs and 70 palm trees. So they camp there. From there, they journey to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And this is now the 15th of Iyar, the second month of Exodus. We are now in chapter 16, and the whole congregation of Israel begin to murmur. They are hungry, they bemoan the fact that they didn't die in Egypt, meaning that they wish they had ended their allotted years in life in Egypt where we sat by pots of meat, where we ate bread until we were full. It's a good, it is good to remind ourselves that when, we were in, that when they were in Egypt, B'nai Israel couldn't listen to Moses' promises of deliverance because of their broken spirit and their bondage. Now, Egypt suddenly seemed like paradise, and they actively doubted Hashem's goodness. In response, Adonai promises through Moses to rain bread from heaven as a test to if, as a test to B'nai Israel would follow his Torah or not. The test is that they are to gather, they are to gather days, a day's portion for six days, but the six-day portion would be twice as much and therefore go over on the seventh day. Because of their complaining, Adonai also promises meat in the form of quail in the evenings and bread in the morning. These provisions were demonstrated to B'nai Israel that Adonai was their God. According, accordingly, in the evening, quail covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew which turned into a thin, flake-like frost. Israel looked and said it was mahu, what is this? And they named it mana, which means what? as they really didn't know what it was. The manna is really miraculous. When Israel gathered their daily manna, they were instructed not to save any of it for the next day. 
when some did that anyway, it bred worms and rotted. Yet they collected manna on the sixth day and were told to save some of it for the seventh day. It did not rot or breed worms. Each household was to gather one omer per person, per household, and it was always just enough for each person, not too much or too little. God could decide what he wanted, when he wanted manna to fall and when not to fall. On Shabbat, the seventh day, none fell, even though some went out together on the seventh day. Finally, God asks Moses and Aaron to, pre to preserve a full omer of manna in a jar to be kept throughout the generations. And that manna never rotted. Manna was Israel's diet for 40 years until they entered the land. This chapter establishes two things. Adonai's mastery over nature and the concept of the Shabbat on, as the seventh day of rest where no work was to be done. The Shabbat predates the giving of the Torah. The Ten Commandments remind us to keep Shabbat. It does not introduce it. In Yohanan, Yeshua describes himself as the bread of heaven, a term that would be or that would have a specific connotation to his Jewish audience. Just as manna was assigned to Israel from God, so Yeshua was assigned to Israel from God and therefore should be believed. In Matthew 8, 26-27, when Yeshua calmed the tumultuous wind and waves, the people were amazed and said, What kind of person is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Yeshua too had mastery over nature. Chapter 17, the last chapter of Beishalach, resumes the recording of the various stops Israel made on their journey out of Egypt. They get to Rephidim, where again there is no water, it's a theme. The people are ready to stone Moses. Adonai instructs Moses to take himself and the elders and his staff in front of all of the people and go to a specific rock, the Rock of Horeb, which many scholars think has a, is a different name for, for the same place, which is Mount Sinai. Anyway, Adonai says he will meet Moshe and company at his rock, at this rock. Moses would strike the rock and water would gush forth. However, the place was called Massah, testing, and Meribah, quarreling, because Bene Israel quarreled and once again tested God by questioning, is Adonai among us or not? Which meant they were doubting his goodness and his ability to provide. The chapter ends with a description of the war against Amalek and the Amalekites. It is also our first introduction to Joshua, Moses' eventual successor. At this point, Israel is still in Rephidim, and when the Am Amalekites decide to fight Israel unprovoked, Joshua commands the army of Israel, um, commands the army of Israel. As Joshua and his men fought, Aaron and Hur accompany Moses to the top of the hill, where Moses holds up his hands with the staff of God in it. For as long as Moses' hands were held up, Israel would prevail. Whenever he dropped his arms, Amalek would prevail. Eventually, Aaron and Hur sent Moses, uh, seated Moses on a stone, and they, they held up his arms for him until the sun went down. Adonai instructs Moses to write down and rehearse in front of Joshua that he, Adonai, would utterly block, blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. The, Amalek the Amalekites descended from Esau and were the same people group from which we get Haman, which we hear about later. After Moses completes this writing, he builds an altar and calls it Adonai Nisi, which means God is my banner. He affirms that from generation to generation, God will have war with Amalek. The portion I chose to chant today is 
chapter is Exodus 14, chapter, or verse 1 through 4. Um, and the reason that I chose this portion is because it really emphasizes that element that we always have of fear of new things and fear of um, trust in other people and in God mo mainly. And we don't like not knowing things. We want to know what's the next step? What's the plan? What are we doing? But we don't always get to know that. And with God, we have to realize that trust comes first. Trust has to come first. If we knew everything, there would be no point. 